Interview number 98, Ben Nind. Storytelling is essential to community health. Due to some street noises and wind effect inside the hotel, there are some slight artifacts on this track. I do apologize. I did the best I could to take them out. Thank you, my dear brother. What a beautiful soul. All children love stories. Folk tales. They are messages from our ancestors. Then you have come to the right place. We will have a storyteller in every school. Storytelling can teach. You have that openness of a child. Good on you, Eric, for doing what you're doing. That's a great question. Thank you. I'm inspired just to be here. I'm really honored to be here. We tell stories. Know yourself. Follow your passion. And live with grace. Hey, welcome to the Art of Storytelling with Brother Wolf. And I am so grateful that you have found your way here with us today, that you are sharing this moment, this space and time. And I want to suggest that the conversation we're about to have here today, the the ideas we're about to discuss might be the most important concepts. And they might change the way you think about art. They might change the way you think about community. They might change the way you think about the value of art in the community. And so to give these ideas a fair chance, I'm going to suggest that you put aside whatever you're doing. If you're driving, keep driving. But other than that, why don't you just sit down and take it easy and relax? Because my guest, my guest, Ben Nind, Executive and Artistic Director of the Northern Arts Cultural Center, and he came a few days ago. We are currently at the Talk Story Conference in Waikiki, Hawaii in 2009. And he came to this intensive we did, this, this four-hour intensive on media and the arts and how to get storytelling into the mainstream and how to break storytelling in, into, the big, into the big picture. And what was really interesting was that sitting around that table were a lot of good ideas and good people but Ben really brought to the table a level of experience of how you integrate the arts in the community. And, and I've had the, the gift of, of talking to a lot of different festival organizers, and, and you can listen to some of those conversations on this show. And I've also had the gift of speaking with other presenters, as they're known for people inside the artistic marketplace, people who put on events, presenters. They're presenting an event. I've spoken to other presenters, and I, and I was very impressed with how – Ben thought of the role of art in community. It's an honor to be here, and uh, I appreciate uh, um, you know the opportunity to be able to to share the little that I know, and and realizing that that um, um, arts and culture and community have been intertwined since uh, since people first sat around the campfire and started doing their dances and starting to tell their stories making shadow puppets on the on the cave walls etc etc um but uh it's great great to be here amongst like people and uh and i hope we have a great conversation and so just to note to listener we're on the 15th story of a hotel and and we're getting a little bit of sound bleed in from the street so if you can hear that um just ignore it and enjoy the ambiance of waikiki city and its full flower ben the, the question i ask all of my guests i know you're not a storyteller but um, do you have a story you can share with us? Well, yeah, I have a, I was, uh, I have a story. My background is actually theater, which uh, I look at um, 
I have a lot of discussions about this with theater people who are uh, very, very much, some of them are very much entrenched in thinking that theater is one way or a different way, et cetera, et cetera. And my uh, reminder to all... And that never happens in the storytelling world. <laughs> never, never, never. And I always have to remind them that, that the actor, uh, like the singer, like the dancer, are nothing more than uh, dramatic storytellers. Um, or musical storytellers or movement storytellers that the roots of all the performing arts goes back to the roots of uh, storytelling not only as teller but also as quality of story so in other words the quality of theater is as only as good as the story being told the quality of music is only as good as as the uh, the the story being told within the song or within the music itself and that that follows throughout all the genres of, of art as far as I'm concerned it goes back to the base root of stories so you didn't answer the question though do you have a story you'd like to share of course I have a story I got a great story <clears throat> this story was given to me by Dan Yashinsky who, who is um, kind of the grandfather and the guru of Canadian storytelling and the movement of Canadian storytelling very 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 well respected um, across the board um, nationally and internationally and he gave me this story. Once upon a time, there was a Siamese cat. Thought he was a lion. Spoke perfect but inappropriate zebratic. Now, zebratic, of course, is that language spoke, uh, spoken by the striped horses of Africa. Now, one day, a lone zebra was walking along the path in the jungle. And coming from the opposite direction came this small Siamese cat. And they meet. And the cat says, in perfect zebratic, Hello there. Isn't it a wonderful day? Sun is shining. Birds are singing. Isn't it a perfect day to be alive? And the zebra, being confronted with a Siamese cat, speaking perfect zebratic while he's he's just fit to be tied at which time the Siamese cat leaps upon him kills the zebra dismembers him strips him of his robe and hauls the choice pieces of meat back to his den for many 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 months this happened every day cat meets zebra Hello there, isn't it a wonderful day? The birds are singing, the sun is shining. Isn't it a wonderful day to be alive? And another zebra would fall, and another, and another, and another, till it was felt by the zebra community that this place must be a haunted place. For the zebras knew the smell of a lion, but they could not smell the lion. So a myth grew that within this area of the jungle, live the ghost of a great lion. So they avoided this part of the jungle. Now the Siamese cat, thinking himself now a great hunter, started to boast to all of his friends how much of a great, great, great hunter he was. Why, he would take all of those wonderfully striped, beautiful raw hides of those zebras, and he would cut them up. And then he would make them into the fine striped bow ties and the wide belts, all worn by the princes of past Siamese courts. And he declared himself a lion. 
One day, the storyteller of the zebras, seeing what his community was going through, realized that it was time for a story to start to address both the fear and the depression of all of the zebras. He decided that maybe he was to walk this path and try to feel out the story that would have to be told. Because he thought, maybe the only thing, or maybe the starting step, was to begin with laughter. Now what, he thought, as he was walking along the path in the jungle, what, he thought, could... Why, maybe if I told a story about a Siamese cat, a tiny Siamese cat who thought who thought he was a lion, and <laughs> why, who spoke perfect zebratic, why, that would, the zebras would all, they would kill themselves laughing. Why, that would be the best. And there, all of a sudden, appeared before him a Siamese cat, who in the most perfect of perfect zebratic, because the Siamese cat had been practicing, said, why, hello there. Isn't it a beautiful day? The birds are singing. The sun is shining. Isn't it a beautiful day to... And the storyteller zebra, since he had in his mind conjured up a tiny, uh, a tiny Siamese cat who could speak perfect zebratic, who thought he was a lion, kicked out his hoof, and just as the cat was about to leap on his neck, snapped the Siamese cat's neck, and the cat fell down dead. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the role of the storyteller. That's a great story. So, unveil it a little bit for us. I think a good story doesn't need to be unveiled. Uh, I, I don't I think, think so either, but, no. but some of us are dead, so... Uh, I, think, I think the role of the storyteller is... Um, um, it relates to the stages, what I call the stages of life. And I'm not talking about the stage from, you know, young to middle to old to the grave. What I'm talking about is you have a political stage on which somebody sits and talks. You have a religious stage. You have a teaching stage, you have a parental stage, and you have the artistic stage. And the question has always been to me, is which, and, and every time I talk about this, either with a group or individuals, I say, do you, do you really trust what is coming off the political stage at this period of time? Do you really trust what's coming off the religious stage? Do you really trust what parents are saying to their children, or what your parents have said to you. Do you really trust what the schools are teaching you and telling you? And do you really trust what the acting, theater, music, storytelling stages is telling you? The role of the storyteller, I think, transcends all of those. And, and um, for, for me... I think one of the best storytellers um, ever illustrated for consumer consumerism is the Caucasian Chalk Circle by Brecht. 
Because in the Caucasian chalk circle, it is the storyteller that lays out not only the, the distant vision, but also draws from the past and brings into the present all of the relevant plot lines, all of the characters, all of the conflict, and all of the resol- resolution. And that is the role of the storyteller, to be able to see far, to be able to draw from the past, and to be able to make very present to all of those who are willing to listen or not willing to listen. Sometimes not hearing doesn't mean you don't hear. It just means you don't hear in a way that you apply at that period of time. You may apply it ten days from then or three months from then or or 20 years from then but a good story always rests on its old morals it is a good story and you will draw from that story whatever you need to draw but a good storyteller is able to draw from from all of those time periods and make it apply this is carolyn franzini the organizer of the cave run storytelling festival moorhead kentucky held the last friday and saturday of september and you are listening to the artist storytelling with Brother Wolf. Your organization is based in a community that has a fair proportion of native people. And do you think that affects how you view storytelling? I mean, does it do you think that a population that is less indigenous population will still be as affected by storytelling and by stories? I think as uh, John Trudell um, the great storyteller, John Trudell, um, uh, always speaks about, he says, all people come from uh, the five tribes of the world. And the fact that we all go back to those roots um, to which all of those stories are, are um, that's where they percolate. They percolate at a tribal level. They percolate at a primitive, primitive, primitive level. And I think for me, whether or not you're living in total isolation in a small remote community in whatever part of the world you are, or whether or not you're living in downtown um, New York City or Vancouver or Amsterdam or Hong Kong, um, storytelling is relevant in all of those. When one says, and, and this is where I say sometimes uh, we end up at trouble, both as uh, institutions of storytelling, but also as storytellers, because we are continually measuring storytelling in terms of dollar value, and then also in terms of um, how many bums we're putting in seats. And to me, that's totally, totally, totally counterproductive to how important storytelling is and how storytelling works. Storytelling isn't a flood. It doesn't come in on a, on a tsunami. And sometimes I think we expect tsunami results every time um, that we host a, a storytelling event or that we're hosting an event where storytelling is. We expect tens of thousands of billions of people to be attentive, and we get angry if, if they're not attentive. But I always go back to the roots and say, well, you know what? Who is there is who's meant to be. How you get the word out. You might spend tens of millions of dollars getting the word out and only 30 people come. 
doesn't make any difference. You might spend $30 to get the word out, or you might just um, count on a word of mouth to get the word out. Those, those 30 people that came are the 30 people who are meant to come. It's the same as your program here. Those people who are tuning in are meant to tune in. What you're counting on is, number one, quality of story. Number two, quality of the ideas being put out there. And that begins the following. That becomes the strong, gentle, deep following that will will uh, follow your stories and follow the storytelling movement. See, the storytelling movement, I don't think, is is dead and gone. I think it's buried deep, 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 deep within each and every one of us. And I'm hugely optimistic. The more, it's interesting, the more technology I think that's laid on, the better it is for storytelling. The more people are diverted towards their TVs right now, great. Great. Because the more emptiness they're being exposed to. And there are people, I think, on all generations who are starting to turn the TV off, starting to turn their cell, cell phones off, starting to turn uh, turn off the videos and the CDs, etc., etc. And what they're starting to do is they're starting to go, I need something real. I need something really effective. I need something that's going to give me heart-to-heart, human-to-human uh, cooperation. A lot of people said, this recession is the, is the worst thing that's happened, right, since the Great Depression. I often go, you know what, it's the greatest opportunity for storytellers and artists to get out there and make a difference. Because people are hungry. People are losing things, and they're losing things that are generated by an artificial economy. Not an economy of the heart, not an economy of that imagination, but an economy of, of money. And they've invested money in a whole bunch of junk trying to fill up an empty space that they couldn't fill up. And so what they're seeking is something small, intimate, local. Please touch me. Please bring me into your community. Please tell me a story that, number one, gives me hope, gives me goodness, gives me laughter, gives me joy, brings my family and my friends together, and draws me into a closer community. So that's where I see um, the, the movement of storytelling and the importance of storytelling. So whether or not it's in my traditional community where I'm at or in a larger environment into which we're centered, we're only 20,000 people. Think about that. That's, that's half a block in New York City. And yet what we're generating is, is the power of story. I think in, in, in some of the largest urban environments in, in the country should be the most dynamic storytelling. Because you've got people from all walks, all backgrounds, all living in it. That's definitely true. Of, you know, we look at the moth and where the moth is located and the number of different backgrounds. And then because they bring in a new storyteller, you know, I've bring in five new storytellers every time they perform, you, know, you see that reflection. I'm really curious about how you changed your mission. I wish you could just talk about that. Because initially, Jeff Gear was talking about this with me, about how... Initially, you had viewed your organization as an arts organization and how that mission changed. Could you talk a little bit about that journey? Yeah, I came, I came into it quite by accident. I'm not an administrator. I'm an artist. I'm a, I'm a theater person. I'm one who writes, directs, acts on the stage, 
And I did that for years and years and years and years and years. And then an opportunity came up for me to be able to help become part of the team at the Northern Arts and Cultural Center and and uh, essentially take an organization that that had struggled and was looking for some new infusion of energy and try and make it make it work. The number one thing that I did when I went in there is I said, okay, where are the finances at? Number two, what's our mandate? And number three, who are the people within the community that can help me make this work? And we're not going to do bingos. We're not going to do bake sales. We're not going to do garage sales. We're going to make this thing run on the thing that we do best, which is the performing arts. That works to a point because you can set up a structure, but you're setting up that very important structure underneath old views, old world views. And after two years, I started to get very, very, very frustrated because of the fact that I knew where I wanted to go, but I had no idea, number one, how to articulate it as an administrator. And number two, had nowhere or uh, no idea how to go in terms of the instruments of change that were needed. And totally by accident, I ended up being invited through um, Warren Garrett, who is head of the Ontario Association of, of uh, Performing Arts Presenters, to a workshop by um, a wonderful, wonderful mentor, and he's become a friend, Jerry Asha Tomi of the Arts Leadership Institute based in, in California. And when I was first invited there, I had no, there was no institutional money and I didn't have any personal money. And uh, Jerry emailed me and he said, come on down, the ticket's there. And I'll forego the, the workshop fee. And I went, manna, manna from the creator. <laughs> uh, this opportunity, a scary, scary, scary opportunity. So I arrived almost ready to quit what I was doing, not being able to articulate it. And in a workshop, a wonderful workshop in, in California with some, some of the brightest and some of the, the most ambitious minds in the performing arts, both in Canada and the United States, it, um, uh, what was given to me was this gift. The, the number one gift was Jerry Yashitomi saying to me personally, Think of your institution not as an arts-presenting institution. You're not an arts center. Rather, you're an institution of social change. And when he said that to me, I all of a sudden, I started to cry because I realized that's what we are. That's what we're all about. And any activation that we do in the community through our programming, that's what it's about. Because it changes people, makes them move, makes them sing, makes them breathe, frees their imagination, frees their voices, frees their creativity. And out of that comes this huge, huge, huge explosion of number one, community voice, and number two, community potential, which then relates to the bureaucratic language of wellness of community. And when I could link an institution of social change in with activities that are directly related to wellness of community, 
all of a sudden I had freedom to be able to justify everything I was doing without having to justify myself as an artist or justify ourselves against the arena or the soccer pitch or the baseball guys as needing money in terms of activity. We, were, had, had, we have nothing to do with activity. We have everything to do with spirit. Activity is only a small part of spirit and a small part of mental, spiritual, emotional, physical, uh, economic health uh, for a community. Did you know that one of the first things that uh, doctors and lawyers ask for when they come into a community is uh, what's happening in the arts in that community? Do you know that? That's one of the number one things. So in terms of talking to bureaucrats and talking to politicians about the importance of music, theater, dance, storytelling in their community, it's about who are and what is the quality of the community in which you want your children to be raised in, your grandchildren to be raised in, and what you want to be able to experience within that community on a day-to-day level. Now, you just did something unusual for presenters. And a lot of people want to recognize it because they don't know that many, but I've had a lot of experience talking and speaking with presenters. Um, you put storytelling on par with the other art forms. And you have a th- you admitted having a theater background, which makes that even more unusual. <laughs> uh, so I just want to... I'm just curious about where that comes from in your experience. Well, I think I think it comes from uh, a number of things. It's observation of community. You know, as an actor, you you are told you're trained to observe characters within your community or situations within your community. Observe, uh, bring that in in with you uh, into your work on the stage. So if you're doing um, uh, Shakespeare and you're playing Malvolio. Look into the community. Don't don't draw upon only your own resources, but find your Malvolio in the community, right? And it was one day uh, sitting at um, uh, a coffee shop, and I was sitting there with my back against the wall, having my coffee and my my piece of uh, apple pie a la mode, and I was looking across the table, and there were about seven tables all butted up against each other. And here was a whole raft of people from my community. They were all greeting each other, grabbing their cup of coffee, sitting down, stirring their sugar in, and and saying, Hi, how are you? What's going on? What's going on? And all of a sudden, out of the mouths mouths of uh, mechanics and and rock diggers and uh, drillers and car salesmen and and secretaries, etc., etc., that filled those seven tables, all of a sudden poured out stories, day-to-day stories, how the kids were doing, um, you know, what happened to the car at the garage, and, and a little bit of laughter would ensue about, oh, you should be avoiding that mechanic, you know, I told you that a long time ago, etc., etc., and then that would lead to another story, another, another, and roars of laughter, and then somebody would say, Somebody would come in and say, you know, did you hear about George? George uh, just in the hospital. Everything, every, everybody got quiet and everybody inquired how he was doing. And then stories about George would start to start to circulate. Well, after, you know, a coffee break of about 25, 30 minutes, all of those people were fed. They were fed for that period of time 
for whatever mundane work they were doing or exciting work they were doing. They were fed by a community of stories. And they went out. And you know what? That's repeated hundreds of thousands of times around the world every single day. And I, as I was sitting there, all of a sudden this flash occurred to me and said, as an institution of social change, where does that social change on a day-to-day level always take place? It takes place with the stories that we tell our kids, that we tell our grandparents, that we tell each other in, in a myriad of situations, in a myriad of places. Therefore, storytelling landed firmly on my agenda and becomes actually the most important program for an institution of social change. Because when you get people talking to each other, magical, magical, incredibly magical things start to happen. There's something about a performance that's particularly memorable in that afterwards, the audience wants to continue the experience of a storytelling. So, you know, you go to a performance like the spooky stories last night. You know, we've been doing swaps all week, and they've been small. (laughs) And then last night, the spooky story swap was huge. You know, everybody's like, oh, I want to tell, you know, or I just want to hear more. I think that's the wonderful part. Rarely can you tell me, um, and I'm sure it happens, I'm sure it happens, but if you're at the Kennedy Center or downtown Oakland Performing Arts Center or or at the Monument National in in, uh, Montreal or the Northern Arts and Cultural Center, how many times when there's a dance performance do you see the the patrons all coming out dancing or doing an impromptu dance in the middle of nowhere? No. What do they do? They relate dance into story, not only to relate what they've seen, but that reminded me of this or that reminded me of that or, geez, that was the worst thing since this that I've seen, right? If you do that with a musical performance, the same thing. You might get people singing. Right? As they're coming out, they're whistling a tune, etc., etc. But you'll see nobody, or rarely do you see anybody, as soon as they're coming out, breaking into, into song, or, or all of a sudden you've got 350 people singing a cappella all together. Rarely, rarely do you see that. And you sure as heck don't see it in theater, that all of a sudden people start acting on the stage. But what do they do? They go to the root of human communication, which is the story. They all will have a story to come out. Sometimes it'll take them, you know, a couple of hours. Sometimes immediate, but sometimes a couple of hours. Sometimes it's seven days later. Sometimes it's 30 days later, three months later, that people will come, and in my experience, people will come up to me and go, you know what, I've been thinking about that show, and this is what it reminds me about, and this is what my reaction was, etc., etc. And 99.9% of the time, it's always a story that, that introduces that, and a story that's told to bring those ideas and those thoughts forward. The overarching concept I hear you saying is that the arts are an essential part of a healthy community life, and that communities that don't support the arts, that people suffer for it. Am I, am I translating this correctly? I think human beings, the difference between the human being and the cow is... The fact that we are able to express in, um, and I put this in brackets, creatively, or another bracket, artistically. I mean, we have seen, if you ever lived in the country, um, there are times when a thunderstorm is rolling in, boy, that the horses all of a sudden start to run. And they start to run, and they start to jump, and they start to 
whinny and they start to move around and, you know, they start to play with each other. Cows do the same. We watch a young fox. Kits do the same. We watch lambs do the same, etc., etc. I think for human beings, that isn't about the thunderstorm rolling in. That's about just day-to-day life, is that we crave it, crave it, crave it so deeply. The plumber, the mechanic, the secretary, the politician, etc., etc. All of them, absolutely all of them, have got a creative spark in all of them. And they need that fertilized every day. There are very few presidential palaces in the world that the walls are stripped and there is no art. There are very, very, very few cars in the world where people are driving along not listening to music. There are very, very, very few restaurants and and eating places and campfires around this world where stories are not being told. There's a lot of places where the dance of life continues on a on a on a minute by minute second by second basis and it all relates to creativity and the need and the desire for people to be able to express to each other so for me it's just part of the human experience it it can't be you know i hate the the scientific western way of going well storytelling is this or storytelling is that storytelling is this or storytelling is that no it's it's what you drink it's what you eat it's what you sleep with it's what you go to bed with it's what you make love with it's it's what you get angry about it's all of those things all wrapped in one articulation for a presenter who's listening to this conversation and there are some storytelling organizers who listen to this they listen to the episodes that are about organizing storytelling events or presenting. I know there are a lot of different types of storytellers. There are storytellers who do healing stories who who are very direct and work one-on-one. There are storytellers who are community storytellers. They don't really get paid. They just tell in communities um, as a part of their other job. There are tellers who are performance tellers whose pieces are carefully scripted like theater. There are performance tellers who don't know what they're going to do until they step foot on the stage. And given your experience of using storytelling as as an instrument of change in your community and in trying to help your community be more healthy and more functional, what types of storytelling, what types of performance storytelling or community storytelling are most effective at doing that? Well, I think there's a, there's a key in your question, which is the words or the word that you used most consistently in asking me every one of those, or making every one of those differences in, in, in what's being presented. And it's the one word, which is, there are tellers. There are tellers. There are tellers. There are tellers. I make, as a, as a presenting organization, no distinction between a teller, a teller, a teller, and a teller. No distinction at all. In the choosing of those tellers, I may lead and say, that person will affect this. I can see potential of that, and that person will affect that. But usually what I do is I open it all up and I say, which tellers would be interested in doing this project? I don't choose. I let the tellers choose where they think they would like to go what they would like to present. I might do a theme. The theme this year for the the NAC 
Storytelling Road Festival was appetites. I just left it open. Very few of the tellers came to me and said, uh, appetites, appetites. And I said, appetite, whatever. I don't care if it's uh, sex, religion, uh, environmental, or just eating at the table, you know, the, the, manna, the manna from heaven. For me, it's about letting the tellers just tell without putting any boundary on the tellers. The less boundaries you have, the better. Are you using the same process that other presenters use in terms of going to showcases and identifying people? I mean, what is your technique you use for finding a teller? Well, our mandate has been, let's find the northern tellers first. You're only as, you know, you're only as strong as your weakest link, right? Any organization is only as strong as its weakest link. So if I'm talking about supporting storytelling and I am a northern presenter, I should be looking in my backyard first for where are my tellers? Where are they all? And you know what? If I can bring one or two tellers that can pinprick or push the, the boundary of what some people might think storytelling is or storytelling isn't, so be it. I will bring those people in. And those people come to me by way of me just being where I am. Somebody might mention something to me or, or somebody might invite me somewhere, etc., etc. So I'm always keeping my, my ear very close to the ground and my eyes wide open and saying, you know what, if I'm affected by a teller, then I know that there's something about my area that I can apply from what I heard and apply that and put it into my, into my area and see, and see what happens. Now, if somebody on my staff is somewhere and says, you know what, I saw this teller. This teller is absolutely incredible, and this is the kind of story they told, and this is the reaction, dun dun dun. I think this would work really well here, 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 and here. I don't have to see that teller. That's about just trusting who's, who's out there and whose ears are there. I also trust my tellers, because my tellers usually have got a huge, huge, huge amount of contact within the storytelling community itself. And those tellers will come to me and say, I think this teller, because we've been doing this, I think this teller might be good, this teller might be good, etc., etc. And so what, what happens is when, when the inside and the outside meet, they meet for a reason. It's a little bit like the audiences. Those who come are meant to come. Those who, who tell are meant to tell. Those stories to be told are meant to be told. And, and just so someone listening doesn't get the wrong idea, during the intensive, you know, Ben described one of the best marketing programs I've ever heard a presenting organization put on. So he's putting a lot of effort into getting the marketing in. I'm really interested. Something you talked about before uh, during the intensive was this idea of inviting people within the community to become the storytellers, the, inviting the political class to get involved. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, there's a real, there's a real within within our area. Um, um, storytelling is directly related to leadership, and I think actually, if you look in any uh, community, any nation, <laughs> um, the the way it is set up, usually, and this relates back to those five stages, right? There we sit, education, family, religion, etc., etc. And there sits political leadership. 
And political leadership is a stage. And what do they do every day? They tell stories. Do we trust those stories? Mm, We sure are starting to have a lot of reservations about those stories. Do we want to believe those stories? Yes, we do. Of course we do. So for me, on a community level, even on an organizational level, who are telling the story? Who are the storytellers that are out there? So when I go into a community... What I'm looking for is I'm looking for one of the one of the ingredients is can you tell get the leadership to come and tell the story? Whether it is a a mayor or a band counselor or or um, uh, a town council member or the member of of uh, you know your governing house or the overall member that is going to the National House. Can you get them to tell a story, even a three-minute story or a five-minute story, a 10-minute story, a 15-minute story? But if you can bring that leadership in, it's interesting because those leaders obviously have some sort of legitimacy because the community put them there and put them there for the stories that they told, the promises they made, all wrapped up in stories. I was here, 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 and here, and I promise you this will happen, this and this and this. And when they come back, they say, well, this happened and this happened and this happened. They're telling you stories. They're telling you stories every single day. So when you actually go out and say, I'm going to formalize this storytelling, and I have no agenda. I don't have an agenda. There's only going to be farm stories. There's only going to be traditional stories. There's only going to be Viking stories. There's only going to be traditional First Nation stories. There's only going to be Polish stories. No, you, you open it wide open to that community. And you know what? You bring in the five stages. You bring in your religious leader to tell you a story. You bring in your political, your political people to tell the story. You bring in the teachers to tell the story. You bring the parents in to tell the story and their children. And you allow the artists to tell their story. The storytellers to tell their story. What happens is storytelling, for me, is the great equalizer. It levels the playing field. It gets rid of a star system. It gets rid of the the economic status of people, it gets rid of the color barrier, it gets rid of the religious barrier, it gets rid of all barriers. Everyone finds voice and stature with story. So for me, it only makes effective sense, real strategic effective sense, to bring in the leaders of a community. Because what happens is, in terms of an event, is all of a sudden, when it is seen that the leaders of organizations are, are finding legitimacy with their own stories in a formal storytelling, non-political event, storytelling, honesty is required, integrity is required, clarity is required. And for me, then you begin to become a whole community, a holistic community, because you've got leadership, Talking to artists, talking to school teachers, talking to the clergy, talking to the to parents, talking to children. And that starts to cover the whole gamut. And for me, that's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful point at which at which you arrive. There's a there's a wonderful story that I can tell you. This year in a little town called Hay River in the Northwest Territories, 
we were sitting in a library and, and Ivan Coyote, wonderful Yukon storyteller, Charlie Torelli, wonderful Sicilian storyteller based in, in southern Ontario, were on the tour with us and, and they've been there for the last couple of years, uh, spearheading going into new communities. Um, and they were sitting there with Pat Braden, who, uh, NWT storyteller. So the three core storytellers and they, they finished telling a story, a little, a little session at the local library, and then they opened it up into the audience. Who, who has a story here to tell? And a priest put his hand up and says, I have a story to tell. And he had just converted from the Anglican church to the Catholic church. Interesting conversion. But that wasn't his story. His story was about his daughter who had Down syndrome and about carrying his daughter on his back. And it was the great equalizer for me. It was a great, great equalizer, because there wasn't a dry eye in the house. You walked a mile in the man's shoes. But that's human being to human being, and isn't that the job of the storyteller? Is that as storyteller, you walk in my shoes. I have the responsibility to carry you safely and in, in great support as a storyteller with my words I'm carrying you every step of the way and if, and if it's a wonderful heartfelt story as Ivan Coyote says all stories should be told for good and if, it, and if it's told in that in that manner of goodness then then what more can we ask for honestly what more can we ask for we can't Hi, I'm Anne Glover, and you're listening to The Art of Storytelling with Brother Wolf. Okay, now do I go? Okay, Monkey, yeah, go ahead, your turn. Okay, hi. Um, no, wait a second. Um, wait, can we start over, because I forgot if I... No, Monkey, just say hi, this is Monkey. Hi, but Anne, what, they don't know me. No, but th- that's why you're introducing yourself. Hi, this is Monkey. No, I'm Monkey. I know, I'm just telling you what to say. Hi, I'm Monkey, and this is you're listening to. And you're, but what if they're not listening anymore? They're listening, monkey. Just talk to them. Um, okay, you're listening to the art of storytelling, but Anne, Anne. What, monkey? You say with Brother Wolf. Come on. Oh, yeah. Um, but why is he called Brother Wolf? It's his name. Well, his name's Eric, but he's calling himself Brother Wolf. Why don't we just say with Eric Wolf? Well, you can say that, Monkey. Okay, hi. This is Monkey, and you're listening to Eric. No, but then they'll think I'm Eric. No, they won't, Monkey. They really won't. Okay, hi. This is Monkey. Um, and... You've got to wrap it up, Monkey. Wrap what up? End. We're running out of time. Okay, hi. This is Monkey, and, um, um, you're listening to The Art of Storytelling with Brother Wolf. Wolf. Eric, is that it? That's it, monkey. Well done. Um, So do you have an offer to share? My offer is twofold. The first is uh, from the institution itself. Come on the website, www.naccnt.ca. That's for the Northern Arts and Cultural Center in Yellowknife Northwest Territories, if you want to Google it. 
um, check out on our calendar. Uh, check out at the end of May on the calendar. That's when we start our uh, Storytelling Road Festival. It has uh, done a couple of warps um, just in terms of, it, of its title, but it is now the NAC Storytelling Festival, and more communities are being added to that on a, on a month-by-month uh, basis. And that will continue as, as long as uh, the direction of the Northern Arts and Cultural Centre allows for that. So I can see that in the foreseeable future. The second part is to all of those people out there who are big supporters of storytelling, um, both tellers and institutions talk to each other. Tellers go to performing arts institutions and offer up the idea of formal events, put together um, neighborhood tours, put together um, street tours where where people are talking house to house to house to house. Um, wouldn't it be incredible, you know, in an urban environment, if uh, somebody hosts a storytelling evening one hour up at the, up at the top end of the of the street, and uh, 30 weeks later, once a week, it makes it down to the bottom end of the street, and everybody on that street is invited to go. That's that's how micro this idea can go. Is that no stories are kicked out, all stories are welcome. On that note. For my offer, I want to remind the audience that I have a NING. It's a social network for storytellers. It's at www.storytellingwithchildren.ning.com. And you can sign up, and you don't have to be a professional storyteller. There is actually, by the way, a professional storytelling NING as well. It's very large. Um, but you don't have to be a professional storyteller NING. Just join this NING. And you can share your work with, if it's with one kid or a hundred kids or a thousand kids, you know, put photos up, put audio files up, sh- show what you're doing, let us see what you're doing out there. I know a lot of storytellers, especially storytellers um, out uh, in the country, sometimes feel a little isolated in their work. And one of the things I really liked about this conversation was this idea of how can we break down that isolation? How can we become more a part of the community we're in? Another w- way of becoming more a part of the community is I have a couple different lists you can sign up for if you want to be a part of a show that's recorded as a conference call, you can go to the website, go on that front page, and you will see a place to sign up for an email list of alerts of oncoming events. And when I have an event, you can call in and ask questions or participate as an audience member. And, of course, you're welcome. If you enjoyed this show, go to the blog. If you're not already there, leave a comment to the guest and to me and let me know how you enjoyed the show and, and what we should have said or should have asked. So do you have any final words for the international storytelling community, Ben? I would say um, to make a kinder, gentler, more understanding, more vibrant utopia in this world, just realize we're all on one planet. We're all telling essentially the same stories to each other. And that the human experience and the human heart in all of us, we bleed the same. Uh, We're tasting the same. We're seen with the same colors. And uh, and tell stories to each other. Continue to tell stories to each other, and open up your hearts. And um, uh, we will make change. One uh, as <laughs> there's a great illustration that said, uh, if you don't think that one voice makes a difference, try sleeping in the bush in a tent with a mosquito in the middle of the night, and you'll see how effective that one voice is.
So have a great night. And I think part of the conversation I want to bring us back to here is is that, and we didn't actually discuss this. We we talked. I talked with with Ben during the intensive, but this is sort of present in the conversation and not said. And that is that you don't have to be attached to the word storytelling to have an effective storytelling event. That you can advertise in ways the community can hear you and they can come to your event and be attracted to your event. A part of being involved in a community, part of doing community organizing, as Ben is describing, is using a language that the community accepts, is using a language the community accepts and is excited by. And so as storytellers, we have a skill set. I am starting to become a little bit of um, of a prophet, <laughs> and you all know what happens to prophets, about this idea that as storytellers, we need to put down the mantle of saying, I am a storyteller, and I'm so cool, and just be, and and just have a show and call it this or call it that or whatever works, you just get out and you do it. I think, you know, one of the, one of the radical, radical ideas that everybody can do out there is look in your community and see where those stories are being told. If they're being told, if you know that a lot of wild stories are being told in a coffee shop, go to that coffee shop and say, you know what? We need to tap into all these stories that are being told around this coffee table and let's formalize this maybe once every three months, every four months. Let's formalize this and let's get all these coffee people to come in and without shaking it up and putting people on stage and putting lights there and all of that, extend the tables out. So instead of seven tables all whacked together, you got 14 tables all whacked together. And you know what? Everybody is allowed to hear those stories that are being told around that coffee table. It makes no difference. If you know a mechanic in a garage who when you go in to get your oil changed, you know that mechanic, you kind of wander in underneath that vehicle and you're looking there and the mechanic starts telling you a tale and what should only be taken 15 minutes on an oil change two and a half hours later, that, that mechanic is telling you a myriad of tales. Go to that mechanic one day and say, listen, I'd love to do a thing with, with, uh, you know, my car up on, on, on stilts here and you, uh, you doing an oil change and, and greasing up this vehicle. Can we do a storytelling event out of that? Now, he might look at you really weird, but you say, listen, I want to bring five of my friends because I need them to hear the stories that you're going to tell. If you, if you're, you know, say if you're in a, in a, and this is a great one, that, that you're down on a, on a fishing wharf somewhere and you've got the guy who's filleting all those fish there and he's selling them, um, right fresh, right off the boat. And you go up there and you end up having those conversations about what the weather is like, what it is like fishing out there, what's the adventures, etc., etc. Go to that fisherman and say to him, listen, would you be interested in, in us, you know, coming down here one day and using your boat as the venue? Everybody brings their lawn chairs down here and uh, everybody will, their admission is they all have to buy four fillets of fish off of you to come in. For me, it's that basic, but it allows the formalization of stories that are told in an informal setting to all of a sudden find, um, to find a home, to find a place, to all of a sudden open up and say, you know what, all of these stories lie within each one of us, and the master storytellers usually are those storytellers who are living it. I have a dream. I've had this dream for a couple of years now. You're going to think I'm stealing this off you right now. And the dream is the Nook and Cranny Storytelling Festival of Yellow Springs. 
and the idea is to have basically a hundred micro events going on over the weekend period. And a micro event is basically any event with less than 15 seats. And to have, you know, to have it in the bakery, to have it in the coffee shop, to have it in the restaurants, to have it in the, you know, and to have these continuous, and then try to find artists that meet each of these different venues. So we have like a Peruvian restaurant right now. I don't know if it'll still be there in six months, but right now there's a Peruvian restaurant and to have Peruvian stories, you know, and we have the Winds, which is a wonderful place that's a little high class. So to get some sort of something that's kind of tongue-in-cheek about what they do in their wine stories. Maybe they got a nice wine store. And to have these sort of micro-events, because last year I experimented with this idea of micro-events, and I made, as a storyteller, and I've talked about this before on the show, I made more money doing the micro-event than I did doing the big event with my group. Because with the group, you know, by the time you take the house and split the house with the presenter, and then you take the house and you split that among the group, it's like, okay, here's my $20. And I put all this work into it. But the micro-event is just me. And the, the store, they let me go in there and use it. And they were really happy to have a whole bunch of people discover their store who had never been there before. And I, they didn't charge me anything for the space. And they were happy to sit there and listen to the stories. And, and there I had 20 people. I made $200 in, in an evening with just two emails, you know. It wasn't a lot of work. And no, no press packets. Anyway, so you've encouraged me. And I'm going to report back to you to see how it, how it happens. Um, ben, thank you so much for coming on my show. I appreciate it. And, uh... You just keep doing what you're doing because uh, it's getting the word out there. And um, from all of us, you know, we're, we're all in our little isolated parts of the world. Um, slowly but surely, the mesh of uh, storytellers being organized and, and actually saying, uh, doing more than just, you know, searching around and practicing those stories. Um, it's through mediums like this that uh, the word gets out. So I appreciate it very much. This guest has written a post for the blog that can be read at www.artofstorytellingshow.com. This post includes a bio and a link to the guest's website, plus other additional information about our discussion. If you want to respond to this show, you can find this post and share your thoughts through the comment system in the blog comment box. If you wish to join a future show as an audience member, go to www.artofstorytellingshow.com slash alerts and sign up to the email alert system. You can buy CDs of shows and preloaded iPods on the website. The music was created by Mary Kay Croft, and we are much indebted to her contribution. This show is produced and hosted by me, Brother Wolf, and I am responsible for its content. It is released under a Creative Commons non-derivative and non-commercial license. That means you can copy it and you can give it away, but you can't splice it up or sell it. High-definition versions of this show are considered copyrighted, all rights reserved.